Line in Business, Voice America Business. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host, and my guest this hour is Andrew Horowitz, uh, who's a CFP. Uh, he's a money manager. His company is called Horowitz & Company, uh, based in uh, Western Florida. Uh, his, uh, he has a new book out called The Disciplined Investor and also an, uh, a website called thedisciplinedinvestor.com. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Jordan. Appreciate it. Let's just kind of start off with the overall view about investing and, and why does it make a difference to be disciplined as opposed to the way most people uh, in, do their investing? Yeah, well, well, like they just kind of put it together with a little bit of spit and glue, and uh, hopefully, you know, with this giant hope that it uh, comes together sometime in the future. I mean, it, the reality is that I think that, and I think you know this too, that most of the teachings of how to uh, invest these days is based on some very loosely put together principles that we've heard from, t- from time to time. And most people don't have any kind of discipline of when they should buy, what they should buy, how they should buy, um, you know, the disciplines of asset allocation, the disciplines of utilizing fundamental analysis and technical analysis. And while all those sound kind of scary, they're really not so difficult to master. So uh, I think that the biggest problem is that most people just throw their hand, you know, there's just two, two sets of people, right? One, one that just throws up their hands and says, well, just give me a mutual fund, and the other that just wants to plow into it and, uh, you know, do what they can to try to make as much money as they can. Unfortunately, most time end up landing, uh, you know, somewhere much lower than they started. So let's go talk about some of the specific uh, advantages of creating discipline in your investment strategy. The first one is carrying a low cost basis. So tell right. us what the advantage of that is. Well, I mean, you know, the fact of the matter is that I think that, you know, we're talking about uh, low-cost structure. Is that what you're saying? You're saying low tax basis for your, your investments. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that the fact of the matter is that, you know, when, you, when, you're, when you're dealing with any investment, um, you know, that th- you have a couple of things that end up eating into your total design, right? You have fees, you have taxes, you have inflation, all that. And when it comes to really dealing with, um, you know, the idea of, you know, making sure to be tax efficient in your portfolio. Most people don't look at that. So at the end of the year, they come up with all of a sudden a, 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 a tax bill. They don't realize how it really affected their returns. And all these things that go into it, whether it be the inflation, which is an invisible monster, or whether it's the, uh, you know, the, re- the real monster that we have out there, the taxes um, or fees, all these things have to go into the basic thinking when you're planning a portfolio. The next thing you talk about is creating wealth and how people have uh, changed their mentality uh, around wealth the last few years. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, I think I, yeah, that's good. That's, you know, the, the fact is that there's been, I guess, starting in the year two, well, 1999, 1998, there was a change in the dynamic of how people, um, you know, wanted to save. You know, for a while it was this idea that we're going to save, we're going to retire at 60 or so, we're going to live till 80, 85, and then and then that's it. Now, all of a sudden, we get this change of idea of wealth. Wealth was no longer a million. Now it was multiple millions. You know, we saw all this growth happening back in the technology boom, and people started doing and increasing their risk dramatically, and, and almost to a point of being, in, 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 in a way, very bad for them. And we saw this again happen just recently. You know, we thought we learned with the technology bubble, but we see this happening again with the housing and the mortgage bubble. And you can't blame, I don't think, people necessarily for everything that's happened with this situation here because it was really a, a product of Wall Street and a product of, of the investment bankers that is going on right now. But at the end of the day, uh, people were looking for unusually large levels of wealth. 
especially in the United States, because we were accustomed to just spending an, just an enormous amount of money. And, and this idea of gaining wealth was no longer to live comfortably. It was the idea of just you know, having so much abundance that we made a lot of mistakes along the way that really set us back dramatically. And people uh, see kind of very ostentatious wealth on, in magazines and TV, and this is the way you're supposed to be living, I guess. So right, I mean, listen, you see these models that are emaciated on TV. Doesn't that mean that that's what's going to be the carrying fashion statement for the next year or so? But that doesn't necessarily mean that's right for us. You know, you know, just because I have an article that I'm writing right now, oh, it appeared on TV, so it must be true. Yeah. You know, how many times do we see things in the, in the media or, or, or because they're, uh, you know, for example, uh, there's a stock last week that came out with an announcement about their default rates without getting complex. The media writes that they had X amount of dollars in default rates and dollars that they're going to be writing off. That was one set of media. Another set of media writes that they're going to be having default rates of double that. Which one's true? The fact is that the media got it wrong. Now, that doesn't happen all the time, but the media is not the driving factor when it comes to what we should be having. We have to plan that for ourselves, create what I call in my book a self-assessment statement. What's my risk tolerance level? You know, what should I be doing with my portfolio to give me the right amount of long-term return and kind of back it out from there to figure out what I need to do? The next area you talk about is IPOs and how people's attitudes towards IPOs may have changed, and, and what kind of discipline is involved with IPOs? Yeah, IP, uh, IPOs are interesting. You know, IPOs, um, <laughs> IPOs were great for a while, um, but the IPO market, first of all, has dried up dramatically of late. I mean, it's really just totally become a, um, you know, a, a market of kind of uh, playing to pay the guy on the inside, whereas before there was some benefit oftentimes, but now there's so many layers of you know, between the VC, the original investor, the secondary VC, and all these layers that go into owning this company. It's like that movie, The Producers. Remember The Producers? Right. Right? <laughs> they, you know, they owned, you know, hey, let's just sell all the pieces away, and then we'll make the thing fail, and then we'll just clean up on it. <laughs> right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's what's happening. Look, what, look, at, the, look at the stock of a, of a company called Orbitz. Orbitz came to market as an IPO a few years back, failed miserably. They're a travel company like a Expedia right. um, or a Travelocity. Failed miserably. All of a sudden, you see a hit come on my screen, Orbitz, IPO. I say, wait a minute, I think this is an old email. <laughs> but they're coming out again because they guess they could just fool people a second time. Yeah. But the fact is that you know, if you don't know what happened the first time, if you don't study it and understand it and spend some time developing these disciplines that you should have, you, you know, you're going to get suckered into it the second time. So you're saying people, in the most part, should be avoiding uh, trying to play the IPO game? Um, I think that individuals, for the most part, unless you really understand the IPOs, if you don't have your 60-day lockup, IPOs can be a good play. I, I have no problem with that. You can make a lot of money with them. But just be aware that IPOs, for the most part, are going to be, you know, they're, they're creating a, a market for the insiders to, um, you know, to, to, to get rich and to look at the Blackstone situation, you know, to, to effectuate um, their shares on the market. If you're going to play the IPO market, don't play it with a, a long-term plan in mind. Try to do some you know, quick profiting from it and uh, you know, kind of move, move aside because what I have found is this, there's usually a second wave for the most part. Um, and again, look at VMware this year, what happened to that disaster. You know, um, you know, they're very quickly these days uh, tr changed and traded hand. And when you have the share lockup periods expiring, there's all sorts of just nastiness that happens with shares.
so that's something to watch out for is when the by the lockup period you mean the insiders have to wait 60 days before they can sell shares and then yeah, some are 60 that, days some are 6 months there's different lockup periods for different a lot of selling um, pressure comes in at that 144 point, so. owners uh, shareholders yep, yep exactly Okay, the next thing you talk about, and again, I'm speaking with Andrew Horowitz, uh, who is the author of a new book called The Disciplined Investor. Uh, he has a website, thedisciplinedinvestor.com. He's a money manager in uh, Florida. Um, you talk about margin borrowing uh, as in the creating a discipline chapter and, and the ups and downs of margin borrowing. What, what is your attitude that, towards margin borrowing that people should be doing? Uh, I think that margin borrowing is a very dangerous game if not done properly because essentially, just to kind of give everybody an understanding of it, margin borrowing is essentially borrowing money to buy stock, and what you do is essentially maybe double or triple the the action on the stock. It, 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 it's kind of going to the casino and borrowing the money from the bank to play at the tables. And while there is some reason to use margin, if you go short a stock, if you use some uh, what's called uh, sell options and things like that, the fact that matters, the average person using margin is a cost factor that's dramatic, about 7% for the, or 8% for the margin cost right now. And on top of that, they're, they, be, they have a much more volatile portfolio. What's happening, by the way, right now, just to put that in context, with the whole mortgage situation, with the blow-up of Bear Stearns, with the, you know, the, the outright uh, kind of implosion of our, of our credit markets, is essentially in a... a, a it's because of the margin, you know, the excessive use of margin by many of the hedge funds out there that were, uh, that were required to what they call deleverage. You've heard that word probably a lot lately, deleverage. You had to deleverage your portfolios to get rid of the margin and the excessive amount of risk. I had a client who called me and said, I can get 8.5% on a tax-free investment right now. Mm-hmm. I said, how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, what they do is they use a 10-time multiple margin by buying municipal bonds. And as long as what's called the short end of the uh, yield curve or the yield curve stays normalized, it's fine. But I said, wait a minute, you can use a 10-time leverage, which means for every one bond you buy, you're really getting 10 times. What happens when things start crashing? If they start crashing, you're going to have 10 times more volatility. And that's exactly what's happening right now in our markets in general. So using, using margin has to be done only by the more, I think, by the more sophisticated investor. I mean, don't you? Absolutely. <laughs> It's a double-edged sword, and it was fun yep. on the way up, but it's been kind of painful on the way down here. Yeah, very painful. Uh, you also talk about risk tolerance, and again, in creating a, a sense of discipline in an investment portfolio, what tips do you have on the appropriate um, amount of risk tolerance? Well, there's a couple of, uh, I think, a fundamental rules, you know, the old sleep at night factor, the old, uh, you know, 100 minus your age equals the amount of equities you should have. But I think more importantly that the risk factor that you are utilizing in your portfolio is, is twofold. It's a combination of, you know, what you believe inherently with you and your spouse usually. I, I, I just want to make this very clear that it's important to get your spouse, if you have a spouse or your significant other, involved in your, you know, total portfolio planning. And to understand that risk, risk management, is a product of the movement down in your portfolio, right? Because we can look at the, I guess, the volatility all over the place on the up. I don't mind that, right? Up 20%, up 40%, up 10%, that's volatility. But it's on the up. I don't yeah. mind that. But on the downside, how much risk are you going to really take? How much risk are you willing to take? William O'Neill from Investors Business Daily in his methodology says, you know, you should cut a stock at all costs at 7%. 7%, you, you take that loss and move on. Don't look back at it. Because usually when a stock starts moving down past a certain point, it continues moving down on a you know, dramatic basis beyond that. So 
when we look at uh, risk and we look at risk tolerance, we have to realize how much money can I really afford to lose on any one given investment, one investment at a time, and that will then create your big picture risk tolerance for your total portfolio. Now, you talk about different kinds of risk. We're about to go to a break here, but we can come back. Uh, one of the first ones you talk about is inflation risk, and you talk about uh, currency risk. Uh, there really are a lot of risks people have to worry about today. And in many cases, they don't really understand exactly what they're getting oh, involved with. Right. No, I mean, people, people have been, been bamboozled by these markets for decades, but I think no, no more than currently, you know, than I've ever seen before, because the risk involved and inherent in these markets today, where an individual could be swallowed up, is just, just awful. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is Andrew Horowitz of The Disciplined Investor. We'll be back after this. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You hear business show after business show all geared towards improving a company's bottom line. But what about your bottom line? How come no one ever talks about that? Finally, a show dedicated to the worker. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, the work wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, The Crow Show is aimed specifically at the worker and their environment. From work skills and technology to dealing with bosses and coworkers, The Crow Show will give you insight on how to survive and prosper in today's workplace. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, The Work Wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business. Why is Pepsi cooler than Coke? Why are iPods so popular? In 2005, how can you launch a successful brand? Want to know? Learn about the fascinating and intriguing world of graphic design and branding on Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time, Debbie Millman will provide you with a provocative look into the stimulating world of design as it intersects with contemporary culture. Hear what the experts have to say about creating, maintaining, and launching a brand in today's challenging marketplace. Join us every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellent and both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back, Andrew. Welcome back to the show. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is Andrew Horowitz, who's a CFP, a money manager in uh, Florida. Uh, He's also got a new book out called The Disciplined Investor. 
Essential Strategies for Success. Uh, he has a website, thedisciplinedinvestor.com. Welcome back to the show, Andrew. Hey, thanks. We were talking about, uh, uh, in creating a discipline, the various kinds of risks that people need to understand. And let's just go through them briefly and tell people how they should be dealing with these different kinds of risks. Uh, one of them is in inflation risk. Yeah. Inflation risk is this invisible gremlin, if you will. Uh, it, it sits there all the time, whether inflation is high or low. And, you know, people say, well, I'll just put my money in a CD. What do you think about that? I said, all right, let's do some math real quick. We have, a, we have a CD that's earning 5%, let's say, only if we could get that, we'd be happy. Well, you but wouldn't 5%. get that today, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and let's just say another number, that inflation over long time averages, what, 3% long term? Yeah, it's higher you know, than that now, but right yes. There, right there, I chopped it down to 2%, right? Right. So, so we have a huge risk right there that the, the purchasing power, and right now our inflation risk is very warped, right now, because usually when we think of re- inflation risk, and when I explain this to people, I say, you know, Ten years ago, the cost of milk, eggs, and, and, and gasoline and uh, bread was not the same as it was now. Was it? No, 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 they say. Well, I say that's the problem. The problem is that inflation may look like 3%. By using the rule of 72, we can extrapolate that it's going to take 20-something years until that's going to double in our money and purchasing powers in half. But the fact of the matter is that that's happening at a much greater degree right now. We see that wheat and corn and soybean and all sorts of basic food costs are being driven up dramatically from all sorts of global pressures. And that means that the dollar, our dollar, the money in our pocket, is not going as far as it would. So while it doesn't seem like we have risk, right, we don't seem like we're losing money, the fact is that our, you know, that our money is just not buying as much as it could. So how should a disciplined investor protect themselves against inflation? That's a problem. I mean, it's a huge problem. You have to, the first thing is awareness. You know, that's the biggest issue is the awareness of it. The second thing is to realize that you, ca- you have to be in a, in a diversified portfolio, and again, using a variety of tools, techniques, and disciplines to get into this portfolio of some sort, stocks, bonds, real estate, whatever it is, um, or other investments, as you have so well laid out in your book, Fast Profits and Hard Times. And, um, you know, the fact of the matter is that you have to be very savvy to the fact that that you need to be an inflation-resistant uh, investments, And again, at different times, those are different investments. Now, the next risk you talk about uh, in discipline investing is currency risk. And mm. we've seen the value of the U.S. dollar fall pretty sharply against the euro and the Canadian dollar and British pound and so on. Um, first of all, talk a little bit about the risk of currency risk and how people should hedge against it or use it as part of the discipline investor strategy. I think the biggest issue there is the fact that, you know, we don't, we don't feel that either here. You know, that's the second invisible risk. We don't feel currency risk because when we're staying inside of our own country, the dollar spends like the dollar spends, assuming that we don't have the inflation risk. But when we step outside our doors and we go to Europe right now and it's, you know, our dollar is essentially half the value that it was a year or so ago, the fact of the matter is it's a real problem. But more importantly currency risk when i deal with it here is really based on your portfolio in that you go and you buy a mutual fund from the abc mutual fund company in the international area and they cover what we call efa europe uh, australia and the or australasia and the far east and you you have these investments now you took your money and you invested into offshore if you will or international stocks right yeah when you bring it back, when you sell it, theoretically, or when they sell it and bring it back to cash, it's going to be potentially worth less. Or internally, what's going to happen if they don't hedge properly, that conversion ratio is going to be worth less. And uh, this happens quite often with uh, funds that are invested in fixed income, for example. 
you have uh, an international fixed income fund that does not utilize currency hedging for whatever reason, either by uh, prospectus or they just don't by management style, you could be in a heap of trouble if the currencies move against them in their investment process. And if you don't understand that there is currency risk inherent in all investing, uh, not to mention life, but in investing, you're going to end up being in investments that maybe are not the right play for the right time. The next risk you talk about is business and principal risk. Tell me about that a little bit. Um, well, I'll, uh, I guess we can we can <laughs> Enron. Uh, we could talk about Global Crossing. We could talk about you know the fact that when we're looking at companies, the inherent business risk is is always present. And if we are not aware and understanding how to read a balance sheet, uh, or at least understand what it means by looking at a balance sheet, look. How about Bear Stearns? <laughs> Many years ago, well, you don't have to become an expert on balance sheet and cash flow statements, but many years ago, when we looked at these off-balance sheet financing and this heavy leverage involved in companies like an Enron, uh, particularly an Enron, we'll focus on that, with this huge amount of off-balance sheet financing, meaning they had all this stuff going on that really wasn't reflected on the, 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 uh, the quote-unquote uh, actual documents of the company, right? Yeah. And they, they, we put a stop to that, didn't we? You know, this big stop that we're not going to do this. And well, Sarbanes-Oxley was supposed to stop this from all happening again. Yeah, but you know what? Go look at the Capital One financial uh, uh, balance sheet. There's $50 billion of off-balance sheet securitization that's sitting on their books. A good one-third of their assets are on off-balance sheet deals. How'd that mm-hmm. happen? You know, so, again, you know, these are these footnotes. These are these kind of, uh, uh, you know, italics underlined in parentheses type of items that it's important to understand because if you're just going to sit there and say hey i'm going to buy apple because i like their laptop that may work out for a while and mr lynch made a made a habit of doing that in a great way for many years but the truth of the matter is anything beyond that when you have to involve yourself in any kind of decision making for a for an investment if you don't know what you're looking for or looking at and look at these risks you're going to be nowhere fast and the next risk you talk about is political risk, uh, particularly as we're in an election year here. What are some of the political risks people should be aware of in their portfolio? Well, I mean, you know, very simply that we have legislative changes that will come down from time to time, and that could be based on, you know, a party line basis. Uh, for example, oftentimes when we see a, uh, a Democratic um, uh, candidate come into office, you'll see things like health care uh, and pharmaceuticals be attacked. Uh, you know, you look at the insurance companies, you know, they're usually, you know, in the firing uh, or the, the, the firing zone for these uh, uh, type of investments. You look at, um, you know, uh, the Republicans coming in, you may have an entirely different subset of possibilities. But more importantly, if you don't know what legislation is pending and you don't know what's happening vis-a-vis, uh, you know, things like uh, uh, antitrust measures that may be upon us with XM satellite and Sirius radio that happened recently, and, you know, the, all the inherent risks that go along with the fact that they may or may not be able to join forces, and you're there investing in a company, again, or in a fund, or wherever you're doing with your money, if you don't know about what's happening and understand about that there are these risks, you're just going to be sitting there like a, you know, kind of just waiting to be uh, bowled over by a giant wave. <laughs> Indeed. And the next one you have is interest rate risk. And, and you know, normally think of interest rate risk being interest rates going up, but right now we have interest rates falling, particularly for savers, and that can create a risk in itself is, is getting right. too low yields. So tell me a little bit about how people should deal with interest rate risk. Right. Well, that's that second part of that, that, that CD discussion we had at the top. So you have a CD that's yielding you, let's say... Uh, 5% again, 
and the first thing we say is, okay, you know, you have a low yield, you take taxes out, you take the inflation out, and now you're left with nothing. More importantly, you have this issue of what do you do with your money when it's reinvesting, right? You have this need to have retirement income. So now you all of a sudden are banking on a 7% yield from your portfolio, uh, Bernanke decides in an infinite wisdom to lower rates because we need a you know more infusion of of, of availability of credit and uh, to ease the credit wink wink which is uh, going on right now and what happens is that all of a sudden that seven percent portfolio shrinks to six and then five and now you're sitting at four and now wait a minute you don't have enough money to live anymore yeah so what did you do to diversify yourself you know, and you don't have any and interest rates on that end. The second interest rate risk is the risk of chasing interest rates. All too often, people looking at, hey, that's a great 8%. I can 8% on that bond without looking at the underlying problems that it's a junk bond or that particular investment is 8% because it's very risky. Or more importantly and more evidently right now is we have banks that are in big trouble raising their baseline savings rate to bring in and to advertise and bring in additional cash because they want to quietly behind the scenes bring in money to try their best to then loan it out again at a spread and not realize that, you know what, why are they raising their rates like this in an environment that we're seeing lower interest rates everywhere else? Yes. It should be a big warning flag. And then the final risk you talk about is tax risk. I guess kind of, kind of related to political risk, I guess. Is this that people are not really taking into a, a, a account the tax implications of various moves they're making? Right. I mean, you have, first of all, you have a real problem with mutual funds that, not all mutual funds, but those mutual funds that don't manage on a tax-efficient basis, right? You have, uh, they have the opportunity to pass through, and, and, and all mutual funds pass through all of their gains and their yields and dividends. That's the very nature of a mutual fund. But when they do it inefficiently when they pass through a high level of short-term capital gains and high dividends rather than uh, utilizing a much more efficient process. And that leads to a, a whole different level of discussion about mutual funds when we talk about um, efficiency of management, uh, turnover ratios, expenses. And when we look at a mutual fund that has a high level of pass-through gains and that takes their gain from a 10% in one year after tax to a 5 Usually there's a lot more than meets the eye somewhere embedded in the mutual fund manager's inability to keep pace. And unfortunately, they, they're not doing you a great service and, uh, by, by, by doing so. And, and finally, the, the other problem is all these built-up gains we have in our investments, right? People have all these built-up gains, but they don't want to sell because they don't want to pay the taxes. Yeah. Yet they're much more willing to take down a 20% loss on something you know, for the sake of a 15% gain. So you're saying that they should do that. In a case like that, they should realize the gain, pay the taxes, instead of have the investment go down and take a loss. Well, I mean, potentially, if, the, if obviously you have to weigh that, right? If you're going to take a 15% uh, loss on the gain part for a long-term capital gain, or maybe look at an investment that can go down 30 or 40%, I mean, I don't think that takes much to think about, hey, you know what, I'll take the tax, tax penalty right now. But a lot of people you write are very averse to paying taxes, and they do foolish things to avoid taxes that hurt them more in the long run. Right. Unbelievable. Uh, they let the tax tail wag, wag, the, uh, wag the investment dog. In indeed, that's happening uh, quite a bit. Okay, we're going to go to a break. Um, again, uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is Andrew Horowitz, uh, who's a CFP in uh, Western Florida. Uh, his book is called The Disciplined Investor, Essential Strategies for Success. His uh, website is thedisciplinedinvestor.com. 
Um, and he also has a podcast on these things as well. We'll be back after this. The bottom line in business. Voice America business. Tune in every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific time for The Growth Strategist with Aldana Ambler. On the show, Aldana and some of today's top business professionals will discuss some of today's most pressing business issues that hold you, the business owner, back. Aldana will also give you 21 ways to grow with her list of growth strategies. Grow smart, grow profit, and grow your business with Aldana Ambler and The Growth Strategist every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific time, right here on the Bottom Line in Business Talk, Voice America Business. Small business owners, do you want answers to your most pressing financial concerns? Do you want to stop stressing about money and finally understand how to create wealth? Let Elizabeth Potts Weinstein and the Wealth Spa Radio Show answer your most pressing financial and legal questions about your small business and help you achieve business success and the lifestyle of your dreams easier and faster than you could imagine. The Wealth Spa Radio Show broadcasts live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Radio Network. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying, and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is uh, uh, Andrew Horowitz, who's a CFP. Uh, He's the author of a new book called The Disciplined Investor, Essential Strategies for Success. He has a website, thedisciplinedinvestor.com. He's based in Weston, Florida. He is also a money manager in addition to being a financial planner. And he has a podcast that you can get at his uh, website. Welcome back to the show, Andrew. No, thanks. That's a long list of things. Well, you have a long list of things to uh, describe yourself. Um, <laughs> exactly. Now, part of the uh, disciplined investor uh, strategy you talk about is creating a systematic investment plan. Uh, tell us how that works and, and what's the advantage of having that over the way most people run their investments. Well, you know, when you when you talk about being, uh, you know, disciplined, I think that it goes hand in hand with the whole idea of, um, you know, you know, really uh, systematically, you know, being, you know, doing things in a sequence. And systematic investment plans, one, it's a great way to, you know, begin the savings process. Often people do this in their four hundred one k plan, and um, they they don't really know that they could do this outside. And traditionally, whether it's a drip, uh, dividend reinvestment plan, or a uh, um, a mutual fund that accepts a ongoing stream, maybe a hundred or two hundred um, dollars uh, per month involved in the uh, you know in, in their mutual fund um, is a great way to to begin and to dollar cost average into something into um, into uh, into the into the program. So 
So, so you know, I think that that's a great way to begin the investment process and to um, really to start building through uh, and, and, and really averaging out your costs over time. And a lot of things we've been talking about so far, as far as keeping your cost basis down, investing automatically, avoiding taxes, can be easily overcome by creating a systematic investment plan and something that's going to build value over time. Exactly, exactly. Okay, it's, all about, it's all about the process. Uh, you, you have Chapter 8 of uh, The Disciplined Investor is talking about tools of the trade, and I thought since that's an area you're particularly good in, and we should talk about that a little bit, mm-hmm. the whole area of investing can be kind of uh, overwhelming for people. So why don't you talk about the, the, the six tools you talk about are the uh, Easy Stock Selection Program, online and print news forums, uh, online personal finance services, uh, web informational tools, self-directed brokerage accounts, and money management software. Let's just briefly go through some of these. First of all, the easy stock selection programs. Uh, <laughs> tell me what, what's so good and what's so bad about some of those. Okay, well, it's more like what's bad and what's worse. Uh, the, the problem is that there is no black box. There is no way to just instantly find a stock or a mutual fund that's just going to be the next winner. You know, you're not going to find it on the back of a cereal box, and you're not going to find it on a computer program that you bought for thirty-nine dollars. That's just going to spike up a, a a symbol for you saying buy it now. Um, oftentimes, those are built on you know very either uh, you know pretty lame you know. Uh, parameters that really are meant to give you maybe more idea generation than they are stock buy and sell signals. But yet, nonetheless, the infomercials, and as a matter of fact, there was, I don't know if you caught this, but a few weeks ago in Florida, there was a, uh, a group that was making all sorts of money from infomercials, you know, talking about how their system and their system and their system of buying stocks, and this has made all sorts of money, well, they got busted. Because uh, the truth was that it was, uh, you know, advertising that was not really uh, truthful, and they couldn't have been backed up, and, and they shut down the whole deal. What, what uh, company yet, was this? You didn't hear about that? What was the name of the company? I'm interested in this. You know, uh, I can get that to you, but it was something like um, successful trading, or, or it, it was. I can get you the piece on this, but if you, if you look it up and you look up, uh, you know, Florida and uh, in stock uh, stock trading or stock uh, uh-huh. buying infomercial. Okay. <laughs> you know, it was it was a big deal, millions and millions of dollars. And the truth of the matter was, they even showed that the gentleman who started it and then brought in the quote-unquote expert, this woman, he met her at a beauty salon. Nice. Uh, and just used them as a spokesperson, you know, your average person. But there's other ones, Jordan, which I, 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 I in the book, I, I do a pretty good piece, I think, on describing one of these real situations. I use a different name to make sure I don't really... Yeah, piss anybody off. Let's just say, right? Okay. And I use it, and this happened because I had a gentleman in my office, and he was here for six months. He didn't work for me. He was renting some space in a back office, a friend of mine, uh-huh. for six months. He did the program. He bought all their their you know drunk drank all the Kool Aid and 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 bought all their different systems, and he was making twenty to thirty thousand dollars a month in trading. Okay. And he studied it and understood it, and it was this very simple colored based signaling device that would show him when to buy or sell a stock. Okay. He decided after six months to go live and to start trading. He lost $60,000 his first month. How much did he lose? 60000 I see. It was, what he'd had before was all paper-based trading. It was all paper-based trading, and they didn't tell him that you have to understand the trading parameters about volume and availability and markets and market-making and all that, and not to mention the fact the one big thing that is the core of my book 
Emotions play an important role in everyday decisions, but they are not to be had when it comes to your investing process. Yes. You have to take your emotions, check them at the door, otherwise none of this works. You can't do any of anything here. Anything that you teach, that I teach, none of it can happen if you start bringing in heavy emotions into the process, right? Now, the next thing so, we talk about is uh, online and print news forums. What, what should people watch out for there? What are some good things about those as yeah, well? Th- so this is a little bit different. This is, um, when you look at the, the online and print news forums, the one thing I think you've got to watch out for is the message boards. The message boards are awfully nasty. Uh, they're unregulated, unchecked, uh, you know, really, except for significant obscenities and, and, and violent threats. Nothing is done with people that uh, you know espouse all sorts of and, and talk about all sorts of horrible things about a stock or a particular CEO or uh, on the positive or negative. But when it comes to the online and print news forums, I really kind of get into the whole you know as, as a self-directed investor, what do you want to do? And one of the things that you want to do is you know you, you really want to go to the to, right to the to the heart to the gut of the areas. And I give a list of a few of the places that maybe you want to use on a daily basis. I love, like, Investor's Business Daily. Wall Street Journal is a second base. I love the writing. I love the people there. Barron's is a must-read on a weekly basis. Um, and, and I give you the, the basic places that you really should be looking. Um, and the rest of the stuff is just, you know, my local paper down here is nothing but Associated Press articles. What's, what's the point of that? I can get that on the web every day. Yeah. But as far as you, you don't think there's good information, it's hard to separate the good from the bad information on these message boards and so on. No, it's, it's impossible. There's no, there's no, there's no differential. Yeah. Is there any different? I don't know. I haven't found it. I think yeah. that it's all a bunch of junk, to be honest with you. You may have some private message boards that are set up by a reputable uh, firm somewhere, but the general message boards out there, the Yahoo Finance and a few of the other ones out there, generally speaking, don't have anybody watching over them to make sure that there's any legitimate uh, content that's posted. The next area you talk about is online personal finance services. What are some good and bad ones, and what should people watch out for there? Well, yeah, th- that's interesting because there's a lot of differences and a lot of different tools that are available through the different services. So I give in this book uh, specific names of companies that have superior product line, I believe. Um, and, uh, you know, you have to be careful of the ones that are offering uh, very inexpensive trading without much in the back end because people don't realize that, particularly when it comes to stock trading, they could be market making in the back end of your stock. So while you may be saving $3 on a transaction fee or a commission, you may be paying $25 per transaction more in the markup, if you will, or if it, the market-making activity behind the scenes. And most people don't really understand that. But again, most people, I think, we close our eyes to, you know, what, what we don't see doesn't really bother us. Right? So what, you know, what the are some of the, fees, um, I, don't, I don't really see it, so I'm not going to really pay attention to it. But the fact of the matter is all these things will cost you in the long run. So I think that it's important to go to the most, not only the most reputable, but the most cutting edge, the ones that really have consumers in mind, investors in mind for their platforms. And, uh, you know, you do not want to be involved in a stock trading platform that can't get you the trade for a minute, let's say, when someone else can get it to you quickly if you're doing day trading. What are some of the online personal finance services that you like that you would recommend as being good? Well, I mean, in terms of um, I mean, there's some there's some uh, there's some great ones when it comes to um, stock, like for example, uh, uh, charting. Um, I mean, I, I just love StockCharts.com. It's a free service that you can use. Their charting is terrific. They have uh, great tools to do all sorts of technical analysis. I love Microsoft MSN Money as the number one top tier place that I go. 
even as a professional, to do my stock screening, um, to look at uh, you know various news hits and that are that is uh, um, brought together from all different sources into one place. Um, and, and for example, you know Morningstar, the quintessential place to find mutual fund information. There's none better. And uh, finally, for example, Briefing.com, which gives you very quick news hits on economics, uh, stock information, earnings, etc. You know, we're talking about $29 a month for the paid version uh, to get all this information, and the other ones are relatively free or low cost. And then the next thing you talk about are web and desktop-based informational tools. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things you like and don't like there? Um, you know, there, there's, these days a lot of things have gone off of the desktop onto the web, but there's still somewhat of a relationship needed there. There's a few few interesting tools that are free. There's a there's a little uh, tool out there called Market Browser, which most people probably have never heard about. But if you if you Google Market Browser and install it's a little uh, application that will stream quotes, news, information right across your desktop and keep it live at all times, which is a very nice and convenient way of looking at things, and they lay it out really beautifully. Uh, you could have it as busy or as unbusy and cluttered as uncluttered as you want. Uh, there's, a, there's a pay version and there's a free version. The free version is, of course, like a 20-minute delay. For most people, that's fine. Um, and then, uh, like I said, getting back to uh, my one of my favorite places, and, and actually my book has a baseline of uh, the, the quantitative and technical analysis is all based on the MSN Money website and their tools that you can use. Their tools and their team at Microsoft, whether you like Microsoft or not, whatever, is just amazing. They have the best screener on the market out there. Their portfolio manager is second to none, and their charting is, is, is excellent. I think there's other charting tools that are better, but you know, in all in all, Microsoft, to use them as a core of your uh, investment process, is probably one of the best things you could do for yourself uh, above all. And then you talk about self-directed brokerage firms, companies like Schwab and E-Trade and so on. What are some of the things that the typical users can get from them? Well, I think, yeah, that's interesting. You know, one of the things that most people don't understand about these firms is that they make, and it's probably a, uh, they make most of their money or a huge portion of their money from the fees collected both in mutual funds and, more importantly, from money markets. Money market fees pay them a huge amount of money. Uh, that's where you know, so they don't mind if you're really investing or not, as long as you have the money with them. But at the same time, I think that you need to be very careful to have systems, uh, tried and, and, and tested systems. Uh, you know, the Schwab is my uh, preferred preferred provider. E Trade, although they have some issues, I guess, with their mortgage business, but E Trade is an amazing resource, amazing company. Uh, in terms of uh, trading and availability of information. But you have to make sure that they have the full breadth of available things like can you short stocks? How is their options set up? What is their fees for their options? Um, you know, what is, if you're going to use margin, what are their costs for margin? What are the costs for the account? Do they have a, a cost? Mutual funds, do they charge you a fee on top of the management fee? Or if you go with a no load, what is that going to cost you? Um, you know, and then again, more importantly, if you utilize them, which usually I don't really love to use them for my portfolio uh, review or, or at least looking at where my portfolio is at, you know, do they have that in order to? Okay, we have to go to a break. I'm speaking with Andrew Horowitz of The Discipline Investor, and we'll be back after this. Bottom line in business. Voice America Business. 
Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying, and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Achieve Total Wealth Management. Listen to Three-Dimensional Wealth with Rory Diefendorf every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern, right here on Voice America Business. Three-Dimensional Wealth is a show dedicated to teaching you a value-based approach to comprehensive wealth management through practical strategies and expert advice. Take your first step down the road to financial independence. Listen to Three-Dimensional Wealth with Rory Diefendorf Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern, here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Have you ever had a bad day and wish someone could come along and change it at the flip of a switch? Do you dream of living the life of wealth, great relationships, and the perfect job, but don't know where to start? Then tune into The Winner's Attitude with corporate trainers, motivators, authors, and hosts, Jeff and Val G. No difficult strategies or complicated keys, Jeff and Val present a powerful and effective technology to switch your operating system to create the most amazing life. It has been said that winners have simply formed the habit of doing amazing things. Know how to activate that switch, and so can you. The Winner's Attitude with Jeff and Val G. Broadcast each Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. The Winner's Attitude. Switch me on. The bottom line in business. Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. And my guest this hour is Andrew Horowitz, uh, who's got a book out called The Disciplined Investor. Uh, He's also got a website, which is thedisciplinedinvestor.com. He's a money manager in uh, Weston, Florida. Uh, Welcome back to the show, Andrew. Hey, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. We were talking about the different uh, tools of the trade, and we just finished on self-directed brokerage accounts, uh, but money management software is something you say you would like to talk about as well, particularly Quicken and Microsoft Money. When is it good and when is it not too good to to use some of those software packages? I I think that uh, when you look at uh, the various, I mean, these days I much prefer the online, although for security purposes a lot of people like to have the offline versions. Microsoft just came out with a new product. Quicken has a decent product, um, and what they do is they link up with your brokerage account, usually uh, reconcile and bring all your trades in so you don't have to enter them all in. Um, most of these have a good rudimentary uh, ability to give you reports and an understanding of your investments and your cost basis. And I think it's extremely important that whether you choose something like that or you utilize an online tool, whatever you choose to do, you use something. Because allowing your investments to just run away from you and not have alerts at certain pricing and understanding that if a manager changes, you know, that we have an alert set up that we know what's going on or a fee changes on a mutual fund, a bond is called, whatever it is, you know, you should not be doing that. That's just, you know, that, that may seem like fun to be investing, but I'll tell you something, it's not fun to lose. And, you know, the game that I play is to win. Yeah. 
Okay, so uh, we, we've got a lot of different tools. I just want to go over, you have many different chapters in this book. We're not going to get a chance to go to all of them. You have a whole thing on mutual funds, on quantitative analysis, and fundamental analysis. Uh, you've got a chapter, Chapter 7, on annuities and guaranteed investment contracts. Mm -hmm. uh, there's been a lot of controversy lately that people have been uh, sold annuities that they don't really understand. They've got all kinds of surrender charges. What are some of the tips that you talk about in here uh, that can help people when are annuities appropriate or not appropriate? Yeah, you know, when when I first started the business, I remember that there was a story about a gentleman who made a lot of money selling life insurance. And, you know, why did he make so much money? Because the life insurance was really car insurance that he was selling, you know. <laughs> he was selling by his car insurance. It was really life insurance. It was kind of crazy. Everybody was like, hey, why am I taking a medical for my car insurance? Um, I think there's a lot, you know, right now they're really dealing with the unsavory practices. And I have a whole issue with the insurance industry on how they pay their salespeople. Uh, you know, at a 50% commission for life insurance, I think that, you know, just generally creates a real bad situation. I much prefer if they would go to a flat rate or something that would be much more uh, commensurate with uh, service-related, uh, you know, payment. But nonetheless, the, the annuity business has expanded into some, you know, the good ones and the bad ones. And in this chapter, I give a whole group of lessons from the history of annuities from the Tontine days back uh, in the Roman Empire all the way through current time. Um, that you know discusses what annuities are, what to look for, whether uh, you know to, to what to stay away from in these uh, very difficult to understand equity index annuities that are available today, where you can get some part of the uh, market up, but uh, really uh, you know stay away from the market down by by contract. There's so many little things that you need to understand, and you know how it's uh, built by either participation rate or an asset fee or uh, caps. That you know, you really need to understand. So I put, I, I found that most books on, on you know, money management, portfolio management, understanding investments don't really cover that area, right? So but do you think that people should stay away from index annuities, or are there certain circumstances? I think they should stay sense? away from the one. Yeah, I think general. Well, I think there's a place for them. I think there's a place for index annuities. If the index annuity, if right now I haven't seen anyone that I like. I mean, three, four years ago there was a few of them that were great, but right now I don't see any that I like, and, and that's based on the basic uh, the bond market, etc. And, you know, I, I think that if, if, if you're going into one, you have to know what is the length of time that you're committed to holding, that you realize that 59 and a half, you can't take your money out without penalty, um, and that, you know, there is no free lunch, right? If they're offering you an 8% bonus to sign up, where's that money coming from? And where is but, it coming from? But, but more, importantly, more importantly, I thought that the average Joe out there has no information at their fingertips to understand annuities, but they're used constantly in pension plans and really high-end um, you know, uh, um, corporate corporate plans overall. And you know what? They're, they do have a viable purpose, but you need to understand what they are before you jump into them. That's why I wrote that chapter. So do fixed annuities make sense for some people then instead of the equity index annuities? Um, they could, but right now the interest rates are so pathetic that there's no point to tying up your money for any length of time for a 3 or 4% interest rate. I just wouldn't go near them right now. So then do you think variable annuities make sense for some people? No, I, I, I personally, you know, there was a time that I, that I thought variable annuities were a good option, but generally speaking, variable annuities are extremely expensive. You know, you have to pay the management fee, the ma you have to pay the expense fee, you have to pay the administration fee, you have to pay the mortality fee. By the time you're done, you have a 3% fee, 3.5% fee for the pleasure of investing in a mutual fund. And then you wrap it, I, I just don't get the point. I mean, I don't know, I don't know what you think about it, I don't get the point. And then you have surrender charges if you get to get out of it as well. Yeah, so that uh, sounds like good. I'm going to get myself one right now. <laughs> <laughs> and then also in this book, in this chapter, you talk about GIC's guaranteed investment contracts. Is that 
the same thing, or do you think it makes sense to be in GICs? For I mean, people? you know, again, it all depends. These GICs I talk to, these GICs, are when they have a reasonable interest rate for a short term, let's say five year, where you can get an alternative to a CD and a total guarantee at a higher rate of interest, I'm there. But right now, none of this makes any sense. And, and truth be told that, you know, I, I've, been, I've been very harsh on the banking uh, and, and real estate sector, not just now, for the last two years. You know, on my blog and my site, I write about this constantly, so everybody wants to subscribe, just go to there. And I'm writing about this every single day, every two days, in my podcast that are on iTunes. I write about this stuff all the time, and right now, I wouldn't get near half of the investments or three-quarters of the investments that are out there because I think they're really built up with, uh, you, know, you know, there's a lot of things that we still are not aware of what's going on on the inside of all of these companies, and my best recommendation right now is to be extremely careful in anything that you're putting your money into, including banks. By the way, tell them how they can find your uh, podcast and various other ways of reaching you. Yeah, if you want to check out my podcast, we have weekly guests, great weekly guests. Jordan was on last week. Uh, Robert Reich is coming up this week. Uh, you go to iTunes and go to podcasts and then business, and we're featured right in the middle of, of iTunes uh, to to. You know, kind of communicate with me. Just go to the disciplinedinvestor.com or just look up my name. And on there, I have all sorts of things that I write about. I give stock recommendations or things to stay away from. I talk about funds. I talk about economics. Really kind of try to bring the best of the best on a weekly basis and keep it really fresh and much different when I talk about the Milli Vanilli uh, economy and I talk about, uh, you know, things like, uh, you know, Ben Bernanke's big hat and, you know, have uh, a discussion about, you know, what the Fed is doing and how he's really hurting us. And, uh, you know, try to bring you some very important and timely information about investing, whether it's stocks or bonds, or the disciplines that I talk about in my book. As we have about two minutes to go here, um, your final chapter is on implementing the plan. We've talked about a lot of things this hour here. What are some overall tips that you could give to make sure that people take the plan you've talked about and actually implement it? Yeah, I think, I think the most important thing, and I talk about this all the time, is to write things down. Don't just commit them to air. Put them down. That's the best thing you could do to start with. Talk about your self-assessment and, and spend some time understanding your risk. You know, spend some time understanding what areas that you want to invest in, what you want to stay away from. And when you implement things, have the processes. You start with the quantitative process at, for, for finding the investment. You go through the, the, the fundamental understanding what the investment's all about. And then finally, you look at technical or charting to understand is it a good time to either invest or to get out of that investment. By utilizing that over and over and over and setting up this this process that you can replicate is going to make you, I think, very successful as an investor and uh, long-term. What do you think, in, in closing, that uh, the real difference is going to be in results for somebody who is a disciplined investor, according to what you're talking about, and somebody who is not? I think it's night and day. I mean, the fact is that, you know, the non-disciplined investors are going to be chasing the, the yields. They're going to be chasing returns. They're going to be looking, um, you know, for the next best thing and constantly ending up with positions in their portfolio that look horrid, that are like, oh, look at that, it's only worth uh, you know, this amount, and I bought it for that amount. And the disciplined investor, on the other hand, is going to have a continual you know, high level of, of, of investments in their portfolio, constantly, as uh, a very famous Fidelity Magellan manager would say, looking for the dog in their portfolio, get rid of it, and making sure you know, the, the cream always floats to the top. Very good. It's been fascinating. Uh, my guest this hour has been Andrew Horowitz. Uh, He's got a new book out called The Disciplined Investor, which you can find out about more at thedisciplinedinvestor.com. Thanks for, so much for being on the show, Andrew. Really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. I, it was a lot of fun. Terrific. And we'll talk to you again next week uh, on The Money Answer Show. We'll be back then.
Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.